Hello, and thanks for joining us on Teaching Together, the Complete Mathematics Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk through a single objective in detail so that we can make our teaching of that idea more impactful. I'm Dave Taylor, and I'm here with my Complete Mathematics colleague, Johnny Hall. Hello. And today, we're going to talk through... Understanding the mean. Today's objective is from Stage 6, Unit 11 of the Complete Mathematics Curriculum. You can access this objective and the whole curriculum made up of over 1,800 objectives at completemaths.com for free. You can follow along at home by downloading the slide deck of tasks from completemaths.com forward slash podcast. So without further ado, let's dive into teach, do, practice, behave with understanding the mean. Before we teach pupils a new idea, there is one important question to consider. Are we doing the right maths at the right level? If we're not and it's too easy, we run the risk of boring pupils. But if the complexity level is too high, we run the risk of developing the idea that maths isn't for everyone, and we know that everyone can learn maths well. We can check that we're doing the right maths by assessing prerequisite knowledge. What is that, Johnny? So, as it's structured in our curriculum, the mean is like one of the very first things we look at when we're looking at averages, right? So, to understand it, the prerequisite knowledge we need is this understanding of what fairness is. Uh, kids, will, kids will come across fair, fairness from a very early age, from when they're like two or three years old. And then also, they need to be able to, to divide, to add numbers together and to, and to divide them as well. But what we don't want to get across is that you just add up the numbers and divide and um, that's certainly what something that we want to avoid sort of saying in the very early stages of this forming an understanding of what the mean is yeah the objective is understanding the mean not calculating the exactly, mean exactly yeah that's uh, yeah um, i've seen it quite a few times where they separate the understanding with just merely a process here's some numbers add them up divide by them and oh, that's the mean with very little understanding and hopefully in this sort of episode we'll We'll, we'll, we'll share some ideas to actually get a real understanding of what the mean is. So the readiness check um, that we've put on slide three is um, something that I put together, something that I like to talk about in my lessons uh, that we talked about earlier, Johnny. Do you want to run us through that? Yeah, I really like this task. Um, I've not seen it before, before you showed me. Um, I like this idea that you're drawing on a kid's knowledge of what fairness is, but in, in a couple of different ways. So... If you read the actual ages of the the children, which I neglected to do when Dave first showed me this task, um, that's quite that's kind of important. So obviously your eyes are drawn to the middle one. That's fair because you've got the same amount of sweets in each in each box. Uh, but then younger children might say that well, a the, the first one, the one on the left hand side, where the first person's got eight sweets because they're eight years old, the second person's got seven sweets because they're seven years old, and the youngest one's got three sweets because they're only three years old. In a child's mind, that, that might seem fair as well. Uh, so then you can draw out the distinction, as you put it really well, like between fairness of what a three or four-year-old might think is fair and then what mathematical fairness is, which is what we're talking about with, with the mean. Yeah, and, and I think that's really important to get across. So when we've got that this idea across that we're talking about the fairness, mathematical fairness and an understanding of the mean, we're going to be confident that pupils are ready to learn this new idea. So then we look at the teach phase. In the teach phase, the idea is entirely novel to pupils. They're only just beyond their current level of understanding. The teacher shares key facts and uses metaphor and model to add and describe so that pupils can meaning make and form connections with their current schema. 
So, Johnny, what models are we using here? So, counters lend itself very, very well here, um, either under the visualizer, so where you're building towers of unequal heights, and then you're physically moving the counters under the visualizer, getting the kids to do it as well in front of them, and equalizing these towers, which you're essentially, you're seeing how many counters are in all the groups together, and then dividing them out equally, which is what the concept of the mean is all about. And then on a Twitter thread um, a few months ago, um, I tweeted the fact that I always do this on the visualizer, and I've always wanted to try and make an interactive version as well. So I did actually spend the time because it got quite 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 a few likes. So I thought I best actually make this. So now there is a, a nice interactive version that you can use on the on MathSpot as well. Yeah. Now on the slide deck on slide four, uh, there is a towers model, and if you animate that, it does show. The, the blocks moving so that they're all in equal height. And you can you can show this pictorially and then you can show this using numbers abstractly to show how to work out the mean. Transitioning out of a teach phase, we're looking for pupils to do. And that's coming up next. Now that we've talked about the teach phase, let's look at do. In the do phase, pupils are simply replicating what they have been shown. In most cases, this is likely to be a procedure which leads to a solution and complements the teach phase by allowing pupils to develop confidence and fluency in working with this new procedure. The teacher is responsive to pupil responses, amending their model or example as necessary, maintaining pupil motivation and making stronger connections between pupils' schema and the new idea. The aim of this stage is for pupils to be successful in replicating the novel idea and it's really important to state that meaningful learning hasn't yet occurred. They're just copying what you've done. So this is about replication, Johnny. And how do you go about this? I've been doing it under the visualizer with counters. Now the kids have counters in front of them as, as well. And I think one of the key questions to ask um, pupils when, you, when you're in this very early un understanding phase is, um, can you show me, for example, three groups of counters which have a mean of four. So they've got a pile of counters on the desk, more than they need. Can they show me a, a mean of four? Can they can they replicate what, what I mean by the mean? And most children or pupils will start by building maybe three towers, which are each four high. And that's a fundamental sort of thing that you want pupils to realise that however many numbers you've got in the set, you multiply that by the mean, and that and that's and that's what it's going to look like when it's been fairly distributed. So once they've made that, then you say, okay, can you can you show me another set of three numbers which also have a mean of four? And that's when they start moving counters from one column to another and realizing that there's actually loads and loads of solutions for each problem. Uh, but you can easily set each problem up by just saying, okay, how many numbers have we got in the set and what's the mean and, and multiplying them together. And that relationship, I think, is is fundamental for students to grasp if they want to actually understand what the mean's all about. So lots of lots of that, so actually sliding the counters around, and then we move on to maybe more abstract mini whiteboard uh, work where I'll say, okay, can you write me down three numbers which have a mean of 10? And they might go 10, 10, 10. They might go 9, 10, 11. Um, another kid might say 5, 10, 15. But essentially, what do we notice about everyone's mini whiteboards? They all sum to 30. That's because we've got three numbers and they've got a mean of 10. Yeah, so when I'm doing this with, my, with mini whiteboards, I'm looking at example problem pairs. And whereas yours is this focus on learner-generated examples, I'm asking kids to tell me the mean of 3, 7, and uh, 8. 
And they're, they're, they're writing the mean down. They're doing all their working out, holding that up. And then I'm asking them to do this a few more times until I know that the pupils can replicate this new idea. And then I want them to develop fluency with it. Now, that takes us to side five of the accompanying slide deck, which is a set of minimally different questions. Now, Johnny, you didn't, you, you, were, you were arguing with yourself mostly, not with me, um, about where this comes into a learning episode. You know, should you give them minimally different questions to develop fluency or should this be something that comes a bit later once they've developed fluency? Does that, does that cover that in, in full? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not just actually sort of unique to this objective. I, I do like minimally different questions and I use them lots. And, and I just find the timing of them, of when to stick them in a learning episode is always quite a, a challenge for me. Like if you put it too early, you run the risk of them not making any of the connections because they're too focused on getting the process nailed. So it's just, yeah, when when do you introduce them? So I know that you you like to, to use them quite early on and like just give them the opportunity to make these connections if they do, amazing. Uh, but what if they don't don't? Well, they're still having they're still having lots of practice on getting the, this process of finding finding the mean. I like to use them later on personally, where I'm, when I know they've got the process down. So they can focus more of their attention on actually, okay, what is the links between the questions? Yeah, I I, I think that they're multi-use. And so I like to throw them up as as what we might term naive practice. Right, go on, guys, calculate the mean, go at it, do it, work out the mean, so on and so forth. But then once pupils are finished and maybe I've got faster workers and I've got slower workers, the slower workers can continue on the on the fluency practice, whereas my quicker workers, ones who finish sooner, they can identify links between the data that I've given them and their answers. And so we can start to develop this understanding of how as the numbers change, the mean changes in, in this relationship early on in the learning episode. Yeah, I mean, that that, 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 is, that is really nice. And it is just shows the power of always having these like sort of extension activities up your sleeve. So yours is kind of like, okay, early finishers go back and, and, and explicitly explain why these why these minimally different exercises give these answers of the means. Whereas I'd be probably more tempted to say, okay, you finish these set of questions on just naive random practice, maybe. Okay, can you write me down four sets of numbers which each have a, a mean of five or, or something like that? Um, there's just different ways of going around um, extension material, I guess. Yeah, I guess that is the case. So having worked through the teach and do phases, develop fluency, we're now going to segue into the practice phase. In the practice phase, pupils move beyond simply performing. Pupils are now fluent with the process, so we're now directing their attention to underlying structures, relationships, and principles, bringing about strong connections with prior knowledge. Unfortunately, it's quite common that a maths lesson doesn't get this far. Pupils tend to perform with the new idea, literally doing, but don't form connections between the novel idea and their existing schema, and this affects retention. We're looking for a well-structured and intelligently designed exercise that will aid pupils in forming links. So, Johnny, what kind of activity might the teacher use here? Well, as you know, I'm a big fan of um, completion table activities, uh, which is on slide seven. Um, so we've got Anne, Bob and Charlie. I've in I always use Anne and Bob. We've introduced Charlie as well. Um, and they're sharing some sweets and it's find the values of the, the missing letters. So the first row is completed for you. Anne gets four, Bob gets six, Charlie gets five. Total's 15, so the mean is five. 
And then the, the second row, uh, you have to find the total and the mean. So that's like really sort of um, the absolute basics of the process of finding the mean, where you, you are literally adding together the three quantities of sweets, finding the total, then working out the mean from there. But then quickly the table, the table gets more interesting um, as you start all of a sudden not giving how many sweets each individual gets but maybe giving them the total and the mean. So they're then having, they're forced having to work backwards and all the time trying to re reinforce that link between the total, how many people you've got and what the mean is. Reaffirming that, that relationship. And mathematical fairness. Yeah, that, that, mathematical, that, yeah. that mathematical fairness. And then towards the end of the table, I love these tables because you can differentiate loads with them. Um, but here's just an example of where you might want to go with it, but because towards the end, I've started introducing algebra. So that, that last row, you've got like X suites or P suites. The second person's got two P suites and the third person's got three P suites. And then can you can you find the total there if the mean is six? So you're introducing um, forming and solving equations there as well. So we're making some links with other topics if, if we want. I'm not suggesting that you want to go as far as that in this table. This is more of an exemplar table of where you could go with this. You might want to stick with, say, just like the top six rows of the table, but just have more of each row. Uh, here's like a sort of um, a concept, a concept case of where you could go with the table if you wanted to. Now, we like to give a, a variety of tasks. So uh, on slide six, um, I've put in a more, same, less activity. I mean, uh, these were popularized by, um, I'm going to say John Mason and Ann Watson. And you start with a set of data, in this case, four, four, five, six, eleven. And pupils have to generate examples where the value of mean either stays the same with fewer data points or increases with fewer data points, or the value of mean will increase and decrease. And this is all about getting pupils to, to I guess, be creative in math lessons, which I don't think happens all that often. Yeah, I do love this structure. I know uh, Chris McGrain's a big fan of this structure as well. And it's I like the fact that you, you can't always fill every cell now i've not looked at this task long enough to decide whether every task every cell is absolutely definitely fillable um i'd have to spend a few minutes on it like but that's the nice thing because then you can get pupils to reason maybe why one of these isn't isn't possible or you could add in some extra constraints to to, to like force them to not be not be possible so there's um lots of reasoning going on when you use a task like this yeah and you added another practice um activity on slide eight Oh yeah, so the uh, the form the four numbers written in the spaces below, and you get told what the the mean of the first two is. You get told what the mean of the middle two is, and you get told what the mean of the last two numbers are. And I like this because um, although you can um, sort of form a big, long, complicated equation uh, and, and solve it that way, um, you don't need to at all. And I like the idea that so long as the first two numbers add up to six, so that so that we have a mean of three. The rest of the numbers can then be worked out because of that, because there are lots and lots. There's infinite solutions to this problem, and, you, you, and without any sort of loss of um, so it's, it's the degrees of freedom we're talking about here. You can put whatever you want in for that first number, and as soon as you set that first number, the second number gets fixed. So if you go for five for the first number, the second number has to be one to give a mean of six. And that and means that the third number has to be seven yeah, to give a mean of four. Exactly. And you can yeah. generate loads and loads of different answers um, like that. Or you can go down the long algebraic way. I know I, know I showed um, Stuart this problem um, ages ago. And your natural first instinct, if you're an expert mathematician, maybe, is to form a big, long, complicated algebraic equation, which is what me and Stuart did. 
Then we realised, hang on, we can just make this really easy just by chucking any number we want in for the first number and just generating a solution like that. And I think it'd be really powerful to actually do that with pupils um, when we've given them a chance to, to wrestle with it and just Absolutely. say, whatever number you do throw in there, you always yeah. get the same one out. Which is why the numbers on this particular task, I've purposely made them quite small uh, to allow that opportunity to do it with counters as well. Um, if Rather than working all in the abstract with maybe slightly larger means, if you, you could actually do it with counters and see that every student always ends up with the same amount of counters on the desk in front of them. So that the, it doesn't matter what number they put in for that first one, they're always going to end up with the same amount of counters at the end. Nice. Now, in a slight departure from the normal format, the next slide is actually another teach slide. Um, we're talking about understanding the mean. And I think that if if we're going to go back to how you were talking about this earlier, Johnny, with making the same size um, towers, mm -hmm. I think this is a, a really natural extension of that. So here we have a problem on slide nine, which is my teach slide. The mean of five numbers is six. Um, four of numbers are four, eight, six, and seven. And what is the fifth number? Yeah. Now, through animations, you can see that we're trying to make five uh, five towers. And with what we have currently, we can only make a fifth tower with one block in it, mm -hmm. which means that we need to make it up with five blocks. Now, this is called blue to show the difference. And that means that the fifth number is five. Yeah. And I think this is such an important example because many years ago, like I'd consider this question as like a really hard finding the mean question. But nowadays, I consider this question as like a hinge question. If kids can't answer questions like this, finding the missing finding a missing value in a data set given the mean, then they don't understand the mean, and which is really the point important. of this objective. Yeah. If kids can just add up numbers, divide by how many there are, great, they can find the mean, but they don't understand it. Answering this question shows me that they understand what the mean is. So this is like my hinge point. If they can't get this, I've failed as a teacher, basically. And then as I go from teaching to do, so the do side is the next one, um, this is just a standard sort of teach-do sort of experience that pupils get in my classroom. Just we go through the same problem again, show them the uh, the diagram. So the diagrams fade in, mm -hmm. and then I would annotate it by hand. So I have actually, um, but it's an animation on there. Everything appears at once, showing the abstract representation. And then just a quick exercise of four questions fades in, and then pupils do that in their books. And that's my teach-do um, done with. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's important that we do, yeah, eventually. Eventually, we stop messing around with counters and we do start, to, you know, doing it in the abstract. I think that is important. You know, following do, we're looking at practice. And so on on, on slide 11, I've just thrown in um, just a four-question practice activity. And I really liked writing this. And I really liked giving this to, to pupils that I taught in the last week, actually. First question is, it's just find the mean of 5, 6, 10, and 15. Pupils at this point, because they've gone through this hinge question and that they've, they've gone through more understanding of the mean, they can find the mean of 5, 6, 10, and 15. The second question is find the mean of 8, 9, 13, and 18. And I'm trying to get pupils to, I guess, appreciate that as the numbers all increase by three, the mean increases by three. I'll have had this conversation after the do phase with the minimally different stuff. And then this should be quite straightforward. So this mixed practice activity might not take us a long time because to get from question one to question two, I'm literally just adding three to my answer. But I want that explaining. I want I want people to reason that. Now, if you compare the same way of working between questions one and question three, every number just gets increased by one. And you can see that the mean is now 10. And in the first question, 
it's just nine. And so to find the value of X, you're just adding one to 10. And then question four doesn't link in with the other three, but I think it's really powerful for us to look back at what the mean is. And it really brings that whole, if A, B, and C have a mean of four, then the total must be 12. Yeah, that multiplicative relationship you kind of got between the mean and how many you've got in the numbers. It just how brings many numbers it to the forefront yeah. of this question. And then D and E must have a total of 18. So all five numbers must have a total of 30, which means that the mean of all five numbers must be six. And if a pupil can answer that, then they definitely understand yeah. uh, what the mean is. I quite like how you've chosen quite small numbers for that last one as well, Dave, because it means that like students' attention are not like going to be sort of drifting away with hard, complex calculations. They can really focus in their attention on okay, what the mean is. They're not they're not clogging their brains up with unnecessarily large numbers. You've kept the numbers nice and simple. Make sure you've got an integer solution, just to focus that attention on what you want them to focus on, not with any sort of long, complicated multiplications. And I think that's really important. So after pupils have, have developed this strong understanding, assimilating this idea into their schema, we're looking at them behaving mathematically, and we'll talk about that next. We deepen understanding through behaving mathematically. So this phase is the most important of all for building mathematicians. Unfortunately, we suspect that the behave phase is often cut short or is missing entirely as teachers feel pressure to cover the scheme of learning. When behaving mathematically, maturation matters, so tasks are chosen from well-embedded and mature ideas that connect to the novel idea. A good rule of thumb is that this kind of maturation takes two years. So we're looking for people to transition from specialising to conjecturing and generalising through to analysing and reasoning with a related idea from two stages previous. Now, we spoke earlier about how in the curriculum, the mean is the beginning of statistics. And so we'd suggest looking at the idea of math uh, mathematical fairness again. But Johnny's put together two activities that will be used um, further down the line. Johnny, do you want to talk through uh, slides 12 and 13? Yeah, so the first one is one that I gives an opportunity to, to, to generalise, um, behave mathematically. You do have to have covered um, the mean, median, mode and range to, to appreciate this task. So why it does come a little bit later. But essentially, you have four boxes and you have to place four numbers in the boxes such that the mean, median, mode and range are all equal to four. And I've done this task like probably not hundreds of times, but like tens of times easily. And like every time I do it, you can guarantee that you're going to get like half the class thinking they've done it in like a second just by putting four, 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 four into the boxes. And then because it hits the mean, median and mode, it ticks them off straight away. But then they're not thinking about what the range what the range is. Then I I just I you prompt them, okay. So what is the range of those numbers? And they go, ah yeah, sir, the range is just zero there. So although you've got three of them, right? That's not bad. Um, but I want all all four of them. And they get to the realization that actually, if I want a range of four, if I increase the last number by two up to six and decrease the first number by two to by by two to four uh, by two to two, that's right. And then you end up with two, four, four, six which does satisfy all the criteria. And then you can say, well, are there any other solutions to this that you can find? Um, is that the only solution? Is that the, what if you're start, what if you're allowed decimals? What ifs? Um, and then the, the natural extension, okay, well, what if you have five numbers? Can you do a similar problem? Five numbers where the mean, mean, moan, and range are all equal to five. 
six numbers where it's all equal to six, n numbers where they're all equal to n. So there's where your generalization can come with this task. And they are right, there are some nice patterns to spot depending where you want to sort of take this task. So it's a nice one. Um, I, I often use it as like a sort of, um, as they come through the uh, the doors, just have it on the board projected. Okay, while I'm doing the register, can you find four numbers that work? And then I spend the rest of the lesson exploring this task and seeing where we can go with it. Nice. In slide 13, you spoke about this at Teaching Together Leads. I did. You alluded to it a little bit earlier. Do you want to give us a, a little bit more detail there? Yeah, so it's that task that I've uh, it's this interactive that I've made um, for MathSpot where like you can actually move the tiles around and it and it calculates the 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 three averages and the range for the tiles and it's based on um, the Don Stewart um, small data set averages worksheet which I've used like loads and loads of times every time averages comes around you can guarantee I'm using this worksheet and then I've just made this interactive version that goes along with it. Um, where you can actually model all these Don Stewart questions with it. So no, I normally start with just the mean. Um, can you can can you satisfy the mean? And then I'll put the checkbox in. Can we look at the mean and the median now? And then I'll just make it more and more complicated by adding either more averages, so mean, median, mode, and or even the range, or I'll increase the size of the the data set as well. And then it just links really nicely with that with that Don resource. And the reason I like the Don resource because it starts off really, really quite um, simple. But then towards the end of that sheet, as Don always does, he introduces loads of algebra and they are quite complicated. And it's those questions of how many solutions can you find? Yeah, the sheet is great, but the, the interactive version is, is absolutely fantastic, Johnny. Um, users can click on the link at the bottom of the slide to go straight to it. Thank you, Dave. That's the end of this episode of Teaching Together. We hope that you've taken a lot from this episode, and if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, don't hesitate to get in touch on Twitter. My handle is at TaylorDear01. Mine's at StudyMaths. Or you can get in touch with Complete Maths on at LaSalle Ed. We're also available on email on Dave at CompleteMaths.com and Johnny at CompleteMaths.com. Remember that you can access the entire curriculum for free at CompleteMaths.com. That's over 1,800 objectives from early counting to calculus. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to pass the pod to both colleagues and friends so that we can all improve our teaching together. Until next time, take care. <laughs> <laughs>